Luke 6, 20 through 26. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Jesus raised his eyes to his disciples and said, Happy are you who are poor, because God's kingdom is yours. Happy are you who hunger now, because you'll be satisfied. Happy are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Happy are you when people hate you, reject you, insult you, and condemn your name as evil because of the human one. Rejoice when that happens. Leap for joy because you have a great reward in heaven. Their ancestors did the same things to the prophets. But how terrible for you who are rich because you have already received your comfort. How terrible for you who have plenty now because you will be hungry. How terrible for you who laugh now because you will mourn and weep. And how terrible for you when all speak well of you. Their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. Here's this reading. May God grant us some wisdom and courage for interpretation. Amen. One summer, I was about seven years old, as best as I can recall, my family took a vacation to the mountains in New Mexico, and we were staying at a hotel near Santa Fe. After staying a night or two, it dawned on me that if I could satisfy my mother's minimum hygienic expectations of me before she, my dad, and my sister got done using that one little bathroom in that hotel, that I would have some extra time to explore outside around the hotel's parking lot and yard. I would have plenty of time because not only would they all three have to use the single bathroom to get ready, but mom's morning hairdo preparation rituals involved hot rollers, rat tail comb teasing, and the follicular climax of one continuous stream of aerosol hairspray that made rapid orbits around her daily masterpiece without stopping until her hair was perfectly cemented just the way she wanted it. What can I say? We were from Texas. It was the 1980s, and my mother, like many Texas women her age, lived the motto, the higher the hair, the closer to God. <laughs> so as quickly as I could, I showered and received permission uh, to look around outside while all of them were getting ready. And much to my delight, I discovered some large rocks on the adjacent vacant lot outside. They didn't look like anything like the Texas uh, limestones I'd seen laying around, which were white and chalky. These, these rocks were large and round and dark colored, at least on the outside. And I spotted one of the rocks that appeared to have been broken up into at least a couple pieces. And my seven-year-old eyes were dazzled in wonder as I saw that on the inside of this broken rock, there were, on the outside, looked very plain the inside was beautiful and had quartz formations. Yeah, I was a nerd. I knew what that was at seven. It just so happened that on the inside of virtually all of these large, rather plain, dark-colored, roundish rocks were either quartz or pyrite, which you might know better as fool's gold. You know, that yellow, brassy-looking mineral. And to this seven-year-old's eyes, it had all the allure of the real gold stuff. And quickly, my inner entrepreneur kicked into overdrive. And on the edge of that parking lot, I set up a rocks for sale booth. Yes. And I figured, you know, I had seen kids do this back home in the neighborhood with lemonade, so why not a nearly precious rocks for sale booth? And by the time the rest of my family emerged from the hairspray-ridden hotel room, I had collected about $21 plus a little change for myself. My hopes for this money was that it would give me a certain sense of freedom from having to rely on my parents to buy me some of the souvenirs and candy I was certain to request on this road trip. I could buy things myself. It wouldn't cost them a dime. Surely, I thought, 
they would appreciate this. Well, the good news, they let me keep the profits. Um, but they asked me to return the rest of the rocks to where I had found them. And while we were riding in the car to the first item on mom's vacation itinerary for that day, my parents asked me a question that quite frankly, I had never considered. David, they said, who do you think those rocks you've been breaking and selling really belong to? I felt a certain tinge of regret, but not nearly enough to dampen the joy of the $21, to be honest. It was in my pocket, and I had crammed it in there already. But this haunting question has often resurfaced in my mind as an adult, but in different applications. You know, people are sort of like these rocks in life. Life's hardships and difficulties, they tend to break us open in places sometimes, and, and we all have different things that we crash up against. And, and while we're all beautiful on the inside and offer diverse sets of gifts and beauties to this world, sometimes somebody comes along, whether knowingly or unknowingly, you know, like my seven-year-old self didn't really know better, and they, they break us open and then they sell off pieces of us, kind of like I did those rocks. Now, the point of all this is to say no one's dignity, no human's dignity should ever be up for negotiations or sale. And as a Christian minister and using the language of my faith tradition, I'll put it to you this way. Human dignity and equality are God's vision for the world. Loving, nurturing, caring equally for all persons and working to make right the injustices that cause departures from God's vision of love for the world. There would be everyday normal activities for people who call themselves Christian. It shouldn't be so rare. Now the scripture passage we read just a few moments ago from Luke's gospel is a summary of some of the very most important pieces of the teachings of Jesus, all rolled up into one sermon. If you read the little italic print, go back in your Bible and look at it, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Now it's interesting, it's called a sermon. A lot shorter than mine so far, huh? Don't worry, we're going to feed you if you want. Many modern mainline Bible scholars, though, don't believe Jesus necessarily ever preached all of these things in one formal sitting. But nearly all of them agree that all of these teachings we just read a moment ago are very central and the most compelling teachings, and they're all compiled here into one little edition, a handy-dandy little compact location for people like us who are so busy that we don't often study or read maybe like we would like to. So before I go on in just a minute to tell you why in these verses we already read, Jesus gave the keys of heaven to our LGBTQ beloveds, I want you to notice a couple of things. Structurally, did you notice there are four phrases that start out? Happy are you. Did you catch that? There were four. I counted. And then there were four other phrases that after that part got done, it said, how terrible for you. Now, let's start with the happier you. I like that better, don't you? Jesus was not telling his listeners that they should be happy because bad things happen to them. But what he was saying is that he was offering some justice for those who have had pieces of their human dignity stolen, broken, damaged, and sold off down the river by the world's cruel patterns of behavior. So he says, happy are those who are poor. Happy are you when you're hungry, when you weep, when people hate you. Because if those things have ever happened to you, heaven belongs to you. Because if those things have ever happened to you, heaven belongs to you. 
Now we're going to come back to this, but first, uh, the terrible stuff, the four terrible, how terrible for you. How terrible for you if your bank accounts are overflowing because you wrong someone else in order to gain your riches, basically is what he's saying. How terrible for you if your bellies are stuffed in the moment because you took food off someone else's table to get it. How terrible for you if you're happy now, but to be happy now, you had to rain on someone else's parade and their own happiness. And how terrible for you when you all speak well of you because you make yourself look good at the expense of someone else. Jesus was warning. There's no place for greedy, ill-gotten, self-serving promotion in his vision of heaven on earth. Now, here in this teaching, by the way, and in roughly 98% of the times, I counted, where Jesus talks about heaven, you hear those words, heaven, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is actually not talking about the afterlife or some other world. He's talking about this world, not some other world. He's talking about heaven, and heaven for Jesus is a vision of the world where equality and dignity and justice and love and peace are normal. It's how we're supposed to treat one another and work to live together. And our Jewish ancestors, they called this vision of the world shalom. Jesus called it heaven, or the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, or the realm of God. A way of living in this world where all are celebrated, all are affirmed, cherished, and acknowledged for who they truly are and welcomed as equals into every circle of life. As I said earlier, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called this vision of the world the beloved community. And the greatest commandment, which Victoria named perfectly, that Jesus ever gave was love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's being expounded upon right here in these verses in the Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus is saying that in this vision of the beloved community that he had for the world, anyone who suffered, those who have been treated as less than, those the dominant culture forgets or overlooks or tramples on, those are the very people God turns to first in this vision Jesus had in order to bring this vision called heaven into a present reality. Now, human beings may distort this vision. We definitely do. I mean, we don't always play well with others in this game of life. Sometimes, like those rocks, we break each other into pieces and maybe even sell one another out for profit or for acknowledgement in the rat race of life, belittling one another, forgetting about someone else's inherent goodness and right to love and to live. So in order to right the ship, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's writing the ship to these groups of people, he's saying, who've been trampled on, who've been treated like less than, who've been marginalized, hated, or, bel or belittled, you know more about heaven than the rest of us. You know more about what it means to live and to struggle for love than the rest of us. You are the ones who know what pain and brokenness are if you've been belittled or diminished in any way. You're the ones who know what it will take to put this broken world back together. And my friends, heaven belongs to you. Now please hear me, my LGBTQ beloveds. Your fervent quest for equality and for dignity and your sacred desire to express your truest self in the face of hatred and bigotry and fear and neglect that the world has given you is nothing short of a holy inspiration and a testament to everything that is good and holy and right in this world. 
This vision for the world that Jesus called heaven is fuller and richer and more alive today because my LGBTQ plus beloveds, you have persisted. You have not given in. And I am so incredibly sorry that many people of faith have taken six Bible verses out of the 31,102 verses in the Bible that actually have nothing to do with same-sex or gender-loving mutual relationships, but mostly to do with rape and power, which we can all agree is evil. And these people, these Christians, so-called Christians, have used six verses to abuse you, to belittle you, to diminish you, and have stood on their high horses beating you down with their Bibles. And it's not only hurtful to you, but it's a complete distortion of everything Jesus stood for, and it is a crime against your humanity that some of us have decided we will not continue to allow. So while so-called Christians have been busy debating your worthiness and dignity, my LGBTQ plus beloveds, you've been loving and living and even laughing and persisting. And you've been offering others love unconditionally despite the hatred sent your way. You've been showing us this vision Jesus dreamed of. So you know what? As we prepared for this day, I had a couple people, they probably wish later they didn't ask me. So a couple people asked me, so your church, you're really going to devote an entire service on a Sunday morning to LGBTQ pride? And I don't even let them finish the breath or finish the breath I'm on. I say, you're damn right we are. Because we're 2,000 years too late. We're 2,000 years after the time Jesus told us to love one another and love your neighbor as yourselves. And many of us Christians have been silent while others have been downright harmful to LGBTQ beloveds. And so, yes, one entire Sunday service is really just a drop in the bucket for the ground that we need to make up if we really plan to live worthy of the name Christian, which means little Christs, let alone decent human beings. So today, on this first ever Pride Sunday, as far as we know, that may have ever happened in western Oklahoma, we're celebrating you, LGBTQ beloveds. We're honoring you, for your incredible love and persistence that you have shown despite tremendous adversity and persecution. And we're celebrating your incredible gifts that you not only offer the world, but thanks be to God, some of you offer them to the church as well. And no one may have ever told you this in this kind of Christian language and in this way before, but friends, LGBTQ beloveds, heaven belongs to you belongs to you right here right now in this vision jesus had for this world you'll be the ones to lead us to a better world by your example you already are doing it and at least here in this church family we'll stand with you and we will look to you for lessons on what love really looks like and how we really should be living and loving and persisting in the face of adversity sometimes because as jesus realized you already have what it takes to bring heaven to earth and when we bring this vision of heaven he taught about more fully into this world, it is because we honor, love, respect, and cherish one another as equals. And you who have suffered hatred and discrimination simply uh, living and longing to be your truest selves, you have so much to teach us. And for the record, Jesus would not have only celebrated pride. He would have done so with uncontainable enthusiasm. He would have lifted high the rainbow flag. He would have gone to the lip sync contest with the drag queens and gotten on stage. He would have baked the cake for the wedding. He would have officiated the wedding and turned the water into wine. 
And he would have had some very stern things to say to religious people who either did not understand or were intent on using six verses from the Bible to belittle someone else's humanity. I can almost hear him now scolding the religious crowd. How terrible for you when you do not understand that when I said, love your neighbor as yourself, I said no exceptions. How terrible for you who are creating hell on earth with your ignorant actions and attitudes and have removed yourself from my vision of love, the one I call heaven. And then he would turn right back to reassure the LGBTQ plus beloveds. You are my beloved children and heaven belongs to you. For you already know what it takes to love and to live in the face of hatred and persecution. And it is the very least that I can do and that our church family can do to celebrate pride in who you are. And it is my absolute joy and privilege to stand here in this pulpit today and to point to what Jesus did say and to tell you the best I know what he would say if he were here with us. And so I say with all of the authority invested in in me by God and all of my student loans in my 134 graduate hours of education, that you are beloved, invaluable, immeasurably wonderful, unquestionably persons of sacred worth, and not because it takes a straight, balding, overweight, white preacher to give it to you, but because God created you in God's own image exactly as you are. No one can take it away from you. No one can give it to you. You're incredible. You're beloved. And in God's vision for the world that Jesus called heaven, you're the leaders. You're the champions of all that is good and holy and right with this world. I can't pretend to know the pain of your journey you may have already been experiencing for simply trying to be who you are. But what I can do is preach at the top of my lungs that your pain and your struggling and your persistent pursuit of love and your truth has brought us all into this very holy space in this holy moment in time where you are now leaders in the movement the vision of love that Jesus had for the world. And I want to make it very, very plain. Heaven belongs to you. And this little church family is a safe place. This is, I guess, if you will, this is the incubator for the vision of love that Jesus gave birth to and lived for and died for and called heaven. And LGBTQ plus beloveds, not only does heaven belong to you, but this little incubator, this little church family, This kitchen where we cook up recipes for heaven and practice loving one another unconditionally belongs to you if you want it. And you're welcome into the full life of this church family. And I'll marry you right here on this altar to that special someone in this place if that's your desire. And when you've been married and you fight a lot and you decide after 5, 10, or 50 years you want to renew the vows, come back and we'll try to get it right. And you can be yourself here just the way that God made you in all of your amazingness. And you're welcome to serve here to teach kids. If you're crazy enough, you can work with teenagers. You can serve communion with me at this table. You can serve on social justice committee or ministry team. You're welcome into the full life of this church. And you know what else? Someday when I'm retired or dead, gone, or get fired, you can be the pastor at this church. Jesus' vision of heaven knows no limits on love. And we're striving our very best to live and love in the same way. So no matter who you are, where you are in life's journey, you really are welcome here. And whether you choose to make this your church family or not, we're going to stand with you wherever you are. 
And we're going to work alongside you until your inherent goodness, freedom, equality, and dignity are fully protected. And to all of you, yeah, even you straight people that have been holding hands grossing me out. <laughs> this is a friendly public service announcement that you are being loved. No matter who you are, no matter what struggles you face, no matter what you believe or don't believe, you're being loved. Love just as you are, loved without conditions, loved more deeply than words can say, and this love will stay with you. This love will keep you. This love will heal you if you let it. This love will help you grow even under adversity. There is nothing you can do to deserve this love. This love is already with you. This love is already in you. This love is in your heart. This love is in your soul. And so please be aware, you're being loved. In every season of life, today and forever, now and forever, you're being loved. Loved just as you always hoped you would be loved by the very source of love itself. Look around this room. I want you to do that. I'm not just suggesting. Now look around. Find somebody that doesn't creep you out too bad and look in their eyes. <laughs> you know who you are. Now keep in mind, I'm looking at you folks with love-colored glasses. But I'm here to tell you something. Heaven looks good on you, people. And it should. Because this is the kind of love and unconditional acceptance we're experiencing right now in this room. This kind of love, this is what Jesus had in mind when he revolutionized the world with his vision of love. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later, in spite of all the hatred and bigotry. And he entrusted us, those with ears to hear, those with eyes to see the vision. He entrusted it to those of us who get it, that heaven belongs to us all.